On today's episode, I'm having a chat with my mindfulness coach, Ed Halliwell. Having been through my own mental health journey at the start of this year, I had therapy and ended up with mindfulness coaching. Not only has mindfulness transformed my own mental health and happiness, I've come to realize that it is the base of any behavioral change. Whether you're trying to improve your relationship with food, improve your relationship with yourself, reduce negative self-talk, reduce emotional and stress eating, mindfulness could be the key that starts the process of behavioral change. So if you feel like you're stuck on autopilot and life just seems to happen without much of your conscious input, then this is the episode for you. How do you create a life that allows you to lose weight, eat the foods that you love and sustain the results? Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. I'm Max Lowry. I'm an author, personal trainer and weight loss coach. In this podcast, I'm going to share my top tips and tricks from within my one-on-one coaching program. It's my goal to give you the tools and understanding so that you never diet again. Welcome to the podcast. I'm joined by Ed, who is my mindfulness coach. We'll go more into how I know Ed and how that how that came to fruition. Um, but first, Ed, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? Where do you live? What do you do? And why do you do it? Okay, thanks, Max. Well, um, as you said, my name's Ed, Ed Halliwell, um, and uh, I'm based in Mid-Sussex in the UK. Uh, and I teach mindfulness in all sorts of different settings. I teach public uh, courses for people who, uh, for some reason or another, are interested in mindfulness and have have, have found me, uh, both in person and online. Um, I work uh, with organizations who want to bring mindfulness into their their culture in in various ways. Um, And I also work individually, so work with people one-to-one to help them develop uh, mindfulness and and hopefully kind of accrue the benefits in their in their daily lives so it's quite a ranging kind of wide ranging uh, uh brief i also supervise other mindfulness teachers as well um and sometimes teach um teach retreats nice and i haven't asked you this question but how did you actually get into mindfulness and mindfulness coaching yeah well how long have you got <laughs> we've got time <laughs> um so it really, um, it really started for me uh, in my twenties. Um, so I'm now fifty. Um, so this was this was kind of you know about just under thirty years ago, and I started to experience increasing episodes of anxiety, um, usually related to life changes, um, and I, I had no sense of really why this was happening, and and more to the point, what to do about it. Um, and so I had a number of these episodes and kind of sort of just muddled my way through them as best I, as best I could, um, without really getting any support. Um, but I, I hit a, a real wall in my late twenties. Um, and, um, I mean, at the time I was working as a journalist, um, and so I was using, using my head a lot, not very connected with the rest of my, rest of my being. and I was living a really fast-paced lifestyle, um, and you know, quite a hedonistic lifestyle. 
Um, and I, I just hit this wall where it just wasn't working anymore. And, and I, I basically, um, collapsed, uh, I mean, not physically collapsed, but, um, stopped being able to function. Um, and that meant, uh, you know, not being able to do my job. Um, and so it, it really was a, a, a place of, um, desperation that I reached because I had no idea really what to do about it. And that was the point that, that, um, I started, uh, kind of opening up, up to the possibility of investigating what was going on in my mind and body. Um, and, you know, initially with the help of a, of a psychotherapist um, and doing a lot of reading, which was not particularly helpful, to be honest, because, of course, what I did was try to sort out my problem with my head. Mm. Um, so I try and sort of cram my head full of knowledge about about mental health and well-being. Um, but it was a bit like um, trying to learn how to, swim by reading a book about yeah i literally had piles of books kind of just sort of stacked up in my in my bedroom so that didn't help very much but what it did do is it pointed me towards uh meditation uh so you know many times in these books um it was suggested that that meditation could be a good way of letting go of these tendencies to try to you know be constantly trying to um you know achieve goals and Mm. uh um kind of fix myself which is really what i wanted to do um and and in meditation so i went to a local meditation center this is before there were mindfulness courses you know sort of widely oh, before. yeah um and so so if you wanted to learn meditation you you kind of went to your local meditation center it's usually a buddhist meditation center um and um what i learned there um was different from all of the other approaches that I had taken uh, in that it was the first time that I was really practically shown how to stop and look at my mind directly Mm. um, and to see what was going on. So not just theoretically to kind of, you know, think about what was going on, which was just more thinking, more, more kind of mental struggle, but actually to stop and look um, and to see how, Actually, it was the pattern of my mind itself and what it was trying to do, including recovery from anxiety and and the depression that came with it, um, that that was actually the problem. So what happened is that whilst it was it was kind of life changes that had had um, uh, kind of triggered my episode, what was keeping it going were were my desperate attempts to get better in that Mm. my mind was just continually struggling to get to some sort of ideal version of myself, which was like a recovered self. Um, But actually that was just creating more stress because I wasn't there and I wasn't, didn't know how to get there. And what meditation did was, was enabled me to have a, um, you know, a bit like a mirror to myself and see that these patterns of struggle and striving and I've got to get better and I've got to fix this. And what's the answer actually wasn't the answer. Um, Mm. And gradually I learned how to, you know, whilst initially it was very difficult because what I saw was this racing mind and, and a lot of um, pain in my body. Um, by learning how to stay with that and sit with that, um, gradually I developed the skills of letting go and letting be into what was happening. And that lessened the struggle. So actually the recovery came from me um for the first time anyway and it wasn't like a sort of single moment but there was a single moment where it happened when i just allowed myself to have 10 days where i didn't work i mean i didn't know it was going to be 10 days i thought it was going to be like forever because i just gave i just 
you know, it was just about mm-hmm. after about two and a half to three years of this cycle. Um, and I just finally gave up and said, I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay at home and I'll, I don't know how, you know, don't know what's going to happen, but I can't do this anymore. I can't keep trying. And after 10 days of, of that, just literally just resting and having no goal and assuming that this might be the way it was going to be for a very long time, I had this moment in the bath where my anxiety disappeared. Wow. Um, and that was the first sort of sense of, oh, hang on a minute. Something's happened here. <laughs> mm. And it's very different from the way my mind had been before. So that was kind of what inspired me to continue on this journey of meditation, um, you know, which eventually led to me becoming a mindfulness teacher many years later. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, obviously, we've never discussed that before. Really interesting to see <laughs> how you came to that uh, conclusion. And in a lot of ways, I can kind of relate to to your story in some ways, because, you know, um, what I haven't yet shared kind of on social media is is exactly why I have been having mindfulness coaching. But um, yeah, I never was someone to suffer from anxiety or panic attacks or anything like that. And I had multiple friends who did and could never relate. I was always a bit in that frame of mind of, oh, you just need to relax and, and breathe. Um, and obviously breathing can help, but it's certainly not as simple as that, mm. as you know your story just described. And then basically if few things happened uh, primarily at the start of this year my grandfather passed away and that was quite a shocking experience i've never really had a lot of death uh in my life which is you know really fortunate thing but i was with him for the last kind of 10 days and it was you know waiting for him to to die basically and obviously that was really challenging and really difficult um but nothing kind of out of the ordinary you'd expect that situation to be challenging and then i kind of got home um back to france was on a coaching call and had this experience where something it's like something went pop in my in my brain and at that moment all of a sudden i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't know what i was looking at didn't know who i was talking to and then kind of panicked about it um and managed to almost had a full-blown panic attack on on a call with a coaching client and she you know she would have been absolutely fine but i was kind of in in the mind of i cannot show this i cannot mm. i cannot um i need to finish the call and i managed to string a few sentences together and and finish the call and i I don't think she noticed but then i had these experiences of uh which i now in hindsight know uh, derealization and depersonalization it it felt like i'd taken some hallucinogenic drugs um Mm. and it just nothing looked uh real very different very difficult to uh, to to um explain yeah. And then basically off the back of that, I was panicking about it. I was like yeah. having these catastrophic thoughts of what is this? I'm stuck like this forever. I can't do my job. Mm. I can't do the speech at the funeral. I'm not going to be able to get married. And, you know, literally visualizing my life um, falling to bits. Yeah. And, and that must have been very frightening. Yeah, it was very frightening. And I think what I now know in hindsight, having learned uh, from, from you and the, the therapist that I had is, the issue wasn't necessarily the derealization that I was experiencing. It was the reaction to the derealization, which was then perpetuating this cycle of panicking and anxiety. Fortunately, we do live in a world now where talking about this kind of thing is much more out in the open. Um, and I basically had a chat with our mutual friend, not going to name her, um, who straight away was like, look, what your experience is completely normal. It's going to come and go in waves um, and you should, 
you know, get some professional help as quickly as you can. And that was great advice because straight away I was able to actually let go a bit like, you know, what you described in that mm-hmm. moment in the bath is after three or four years, you finally kind of let go. But fortunately I managed to kind of do that much quicker. Yeah. And really made me think as well, like lots of people must suffer with this in silence. And I think more so for men, um, men are sometimes afraid to, to reach out and talk. Um, but fortunately that wasn't the case for me. And I, I thought, thought, saw a therapist first, which was really useful. Um, and then obviously ended up kind of, um, progressing onto working with yourself, which again has, has really built on everything, uh, that I've, I've learned. And, you know, I think the one thing that I went into, especially with the therapist, I went in being like, how can I fix this? How long is this going to take for me to fix? Give me some really practical things that I can do to fix it. Cause that's just kind of how my brain works. How can I complete this task? And yeah. first thing he said, which was useful advice, which was, well, firstly, we need to maybe accept that you might never fix this. And really what we might be able to do is get you to be okay with that. Mm. And Initially, that was quite scary, but obviously that's exactly what happened. I'm not fixed per se. I still have symptoms and experiences in certain situations, but through the journey that I've been on learning with you, I've developed coping strategies and ultimately the reaction I had to those symptoms is completely different now. And the reaction is actually a a thing that helps me work through it. And really what I've learned through this entire process is that mindfulness i believe is the essence and the first step of behavioral change and that is obviously really interesting for me as a you know behavioral i help people change their behavior but i guess before we go down that route ed it would be good maybe could you kind of really clarify what what is mindfulness obviously we've been talking about it quite a lot here people have maybe might have an idea of what it is um but yeah could we get your your definition of mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, I like your, your insight that, that mindfulness can be the first step towards behavior change. However, uh, many of us are kind of acclimatized um, to this kind of fix it kind of approach towards behavioral change. You know, we identify something that we want to be different and we say, how do I get there? which is kind of makes a lot of sense. And it works for a lot of aspects of our lives. You know, if you want to fix a car, you know, what do I need to do? I'll take it to the garage, you know, or if I'm skilled myself, you know, I need to play about with these bits, make something happen and change happens. But um, that doesn't work so well when it comes to our inner life, um, when it comes to our emotions, when it comes to our thoughts, um, you know, kind of the automatic thoughts that, that, you know, we have coming up within us that maybe we're not totally in control of. And just as we're not totally in control of our emotions, particularly as they arise in the present moment, you know, we have um, habit plans. Um, And so um, mindfulness offers a different way of relating to those experiences which can't be changed just by struggle and that kind of fix it mode. and so what it offers is, is first of all, that way of um, a way of relating to the experience that's coming up that doesn't then perpetuate this struggle and striving to reach an ideal self. 
Yeah. So, you know, I imagine this this can come up quite a lot when it comes to, um, you know, working with, um, you know, working with weight. You know, I want to be mm. this, you know, I want to yeah. be like that. How do I get there? Which just makes total sense. And it's not like that's that's necessarily a bad thing, because, you know, if we didn't have that sense of where do I want to get to, then we'd probably, you know, not get out of bed in the morning. You know, so yeah. it's it's important to have some sense of direction. The problem is, is that um, as you've described, and I experienced too, when this is applied to what's happening within us, what we do is we identify, how do I want to feel? You know, oh, I want to feel great. You know, I want to feel not anxious. I want to not have these derealization symptoms. I want them to go away. Yeah. And and so um, we identify how we'd like to be. And then we look at it and go, oh, I'm not there. And so there's this kind of gap that appears between how I want to be and how I am. And we and then our mind starts ruminating about, well, I've got I need must need to do this or I must need to do that. Or and so we speed up in our heads often and we get this sense of tension, um, which is a kind of a signal of I'm not where I want to be. This is a threat. Yeah. I don't want to feel like this. So all of our threat systems are then um, activated. And so that attempt to try and get there starts to backfire. Um, and we become more stressed, you know, and we maybe experience more symptoms. And so it, it self-perpetuates, um, you know, when it comes to, to um, you know, to, to eating and, and kind of weight, uh, working with weight, um, it might lead us then to feel worse and then to eat more and then to feel guilty and then to eat more and then to want to, you know, become somebody else and eat more and et cetera, et cetera. So what mindfulness offers is a way of actually meeting our experience of looking at these patterns through mindfulness um, practices, through meditation practices particularly, to actually see how this pattern unfolds. And by becoming familiar with it, actually already we've stepped out of that habit pattern because we're yeah. no longer um, caught in it, we're watching it. Now that's difficult to do because it means letting go. And I don't know about you, but I was never taught how to let go. In fact, during my, you know, period of of, of um, the really long period of anxiety that I had, many people said, hey, you just need to let go, a bit like you, you know, yeah. you just need to yeah. relax and breathe. And that's true. But it's like, yeah, okay, but how? Like, you mm. know, you need to relax. Yeah, but how? So what, for me, and, and for a lot of people, mindfulness is the how. You know, mindfulness offers this way of, of relating to our experience by looking at it, by learning how to let things be, you know, as a skill, not just as an idea, but as an actual mm. skill we can practice over and over again. You know, so when, when our mind wanders away in meditation, we see it and we gently come back and we don't try to change our experience. We learn how to say, I'm going to, I'm going to um, hold this. I'm going to kind with kindness and gentleness, breathe with this. And over time, learning that these kinds of experiences, although they're within us and although they might not be pleasant, um, they are workable most of the time. Yeah, they might not be what we want, but actually struggling to get away from what we want when it comes to these inner experiences that can't be changed by struggle. Actually, it's this mode of, of um, learning how to accept that transforms our experience. So ironically, acceptance becomes the first step to change. So just what you said you know, mindfulness then becomes the first step to behavior change. So it's the way we meet our experience that is that first behavior change before we get into what do I want to be different? For sure. Yeah, I think that's something I've noticed firsthand with a lot of my clients is 
initially I kind of taken us down this route of of mindfulness and really awareness. And that's kind of what I mean by the first step is if you're not aware that you're feeling in a certain way and that leads to a certain reaction, um, it can be quite difficult to then potentially change that reaction if you aren't aware of the problem in the first place. Yeah. And once clients are suddenly aware, they're like, oh, I shouldn't feel like this. I shouldn't feel stressed. I shouldn't care about the number on the scale. I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't feel this. And then it kind of leads into this, this um, pattern of negative self-talk, which is a problem for them, a lot of them anyway. And really what I have learned, and obviously I'm not an expert, this is just from my, my personal experience, is the issue isn't the, the, the negative feeling that you might have, it's the reaction to it. So this is what kind of you're saying is acknowledge that feeling that you're having, meet it, address it, and don't try and fight it. And then perhaps there can be a different reaction off the back of it. Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying? Yeah, indeed. It's the, it's the reactivity to, um, you know, whether it's thoughts that we'd rather not be having or judgments that come up that we make about ourselves um, or um, feelings that we'd rather not be having that we want to therefore push away or, or you know, get out of. Um, by by coming to to as you say first of all to recognize them to under to see the patterns um to then know become conscious of what it is that's driving our habit patterns and to you know, by accepting them as they are in the moment yeah so this doesn't mean resignation and 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 kind of um that that we say okay well nothing's ever going to change what we're saying is, is is accepting them in the moment so that we can learn this different relationship of being with them, which is a relationship of friendliness. So actually, it's it's not often it's often not what people expect um, because they'll come to mindfulness just as I did and just as a lot of people do, um, you know, to have less negative thoughts and to have mm. nice feelings, pleasant experiences, to feel good rather than feeling bad. And actually to learn that the first step is to... Um, is to get to know the experiences we're having, which might mean actually, you know, approaching um, the feeling bad and and the the judgments and the negative self talk with a quality of of friendliness is not what really what people expect, you know, and 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 might say, oh, I don't want to become friends with that, but actually, it's only through befriending ourselves as we are, because we're all human, we all inherit these um, patterns of relating because they have been good for our survival as a species, you know, they have their, their benefits, but it's just that what's good for survival is not necessarily good for well-being. And once, you know, if survival is not the issue, but well-being is the issue, then maybe we need something else, a different, a different approach. So, you know, this accepting and befriending and allowing actually our experience to be as it is in the moment then becomes the first step because that frees up a lot of energy that perhaps would be being given to fighting what's going on or wishing it to be different and enables us then to to start to work with it rather than against it. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And you use the example of kind of negative self-talk there. And that is um, a problem that I know a lot of people struggle with and um, a lot of the clients I work with struggle with it. And often that if, it, if it's left unaddressed, um, negative self-talk is the kind of thing that can sabotage results in the long term. 
so you, I know this, you're going to be able to properly get, go into the full detail of how you can address negative self-talk, but how, how would you initially, what would you say to someone who's listening to this right now that suffers from negative self-talk? How can they address it to potentially um, improve the situation, improve the, the experience they're having with it? Yeah. Well, maybe the first step is is to um, to recognize that you're not alone, um, that that we are all human, and we have evolved to judge and criticize um, as a as a way of a way of making sure things are okay. You know, so it is a good survival strategy to be continually checking: is what I'm doing all right? Yeah, because you know we we um, you know we've evolved to be a social species, so it makes sense to be continually checking. You know, am I okay in the group? You know, what do people think of me? Am I doing well enough? Um, and and then from that, you know, well, maybe I'm not doing well enough, so I should should be better. Or I should mm. be, you know, whatever it is, I should be slimmer. I should be more accomplished at you know my job. I should be you know whatever you know the usual shoulds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is really normal. There is nothing wrong with you. Yeah, and of course, what's negative? You know, so I don't. I don't just want to like the, the phrase negative. You know, but certainly this kind of sense of self denigration that many of us have in our own minds. Yeah, um, is um, you know is is normal, and there's nothing wrong with us for having it. So if we can we can kind of begin to see that it's just a strategy. That has evolved in us to help us survive, but maybe it is now outliving its usefulness in the current situation that we're in. Um, then, then we can start to acknowledge it and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, this is just you know, these are just thought patterns." And and that's also one thing that mindfulness can help us with is to kind of decenter from where we usually have our attention focus, which is me as the thinker. So we think these negative, you know, so-called mm. negative um, uh, ideas are ours, you know, like I am thinking this, but actually if we- I am my thoughts. I am my thoughts, yeah. But actually thoughts are only one aspect of who we are and quite often they're not chosen, yeah. So, you know, if you stop and, and look, which is what we do in mindfulness training, stop and look at what thoughts come up, often we'll see this kind of stream of, of commentary, often quite critical of ourselves and sometimes of others, and it just it just arises. It's like we haven't generated it consciously. It's just here. But if we identify with it and say that's who I am, then that's mm. a bit problematic. So the first step really is to is to kind of acknowledge that it's human. There's nothing wrong with us for, for having it, but we don't have to be identified with it. So if we can start watching it and just being interested in the patterns that it creates and perhaps the feelings that it leads to and the behaviors that it leads to, that then is that first step to unhooking from its power um, over us. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, over time, if we can start to also introduce, you know, an attitude of friendliness, of, um, you know, of acceptance, then uh, over time, we can start to shift kind of the, you know, the, the nature of that pattern. But that's, that's not the first part of the work because many of us will start saying, well, I've got to shift this pattern of thinking. But of course, that just creates more thinking in the first instance. So it doesn't help. Yeah, yeah I, I want to stop the negative self-talk. I want to stop yeah. beating myself up. And 
going in there with that intention, you're just setting yourself up to fail because that's never, ever going to happen. And then it just perpetuates this cycle of negative self-talk. The fact that you've set this un- unrealistic, unrealistic expectation and you can't stick to it, which is just more fuel for the fire that, oh, I'm not worthy and I can't do anything I put my mind to. Yeah, well, precisely. I mean, in, in order to um, in order to say I've got to stop this um, or by saying I've got to stop this. Well, it's another criticism. Yeah, because it's another another kind of implication. Yeah. I'm doing something wrong and I should get it right. It's not possible because by by actually bringing up the thought, I've got to stop it. You're now you're now identifying it again. Yeah. You kind of like you're highlighting it in in your in your own mind. And so it strengthens the attachment to the thought and it by criticizing it, it creates more judgment. So it just becomes, you know, as you say, a, a, a continuing loop. So we need a different way, which is actually to step out of thinking and find another place to relate from. Uh, so in mindfulness training, um, we practice a lot with working in our bodies. Yeah, because the body doesn't think it feels. Yeah, so by coming into actually our senses, um, we can practice this decentering from um, the ideas that come up in our mind, which which can cause us so so much trouble. Is that using meditation? Well, meditation is a, is a is a tried and tested and and very effective way of um, shifting our relationship because it's about. Um, shifting what we pay attention to and how we pay attention so um by you know a, a sort of a, a classic mindfulness practice which many people we're familiar with is is for example mindfulness of breathing so the breathing is happening in our bodies so it it drops the center of our attention into the belly perhaps um and the invitation is not to be thinking about breathing although that may happen in the background but to focus our attention on actually the texture of the breathing the feeling of breathing so we're dropping into a sensory mode of relating with experience the feeling tone of what's of what's happening moment by moment and the breath is always happening now if we're alive we're breathing so it's available as a a place to come back to and to tune to the the moment by moment uh, unfolding of the breath as a direct sensory experience. And what people tend to discover, and it's not just with breathing, it can be with, you know, working with sounds, working with uh, uh, other sensations in the body, but to to work with um, sensing rather than thinking, um, paying attention to this, we start to see that it's possible to decenter. And of course, we notice thoughts are still going around in the background. So one of the mm-hmm. great myths about meditation is it will you know, somehow stop thinking. That will still continue, that thinking in the background, most likely. And at times, of our mind, our attention will be pulled away into that. But by practicing coming back to an anchor such as the breath in our body and the feeling of it, we are practicing um, this different way of relating, which is which is with the senses, non-judgmentally, because the body doesn't judge, it just experiences um, moment by moment. So we're in the present moment rather than being caught up with who we should be or, you know, shouldn't be or used to be. And over time, that trains us in um, finding more often this different way to stand in relationship to our experience. Um, because the more we practice something, the m- more we're able to access it in our in our daily lives. I think 
obviously one thing I said and, and, and what you said at the start is people who are feeling anxiety or negative self-talk, they should just breathe and relax. And as you say, that's true, but they're missing out the first step, which is compassion, acknowledgement, um, and taking the pressure off yourself to, to fix the issue and yeah. ju taking judgment away. So that first step, the breathing is only as powerful if you have that first step in place. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's, um, it's the relationship to what we're paying attention to. I mean, the, it, you know, it doesn't have to be the breath. I mean, the breath yeah. for many people can be helpful because by by dropping into allowing the breath to do what it needs, um, we can, you know, activate often the parasympathetic nervous system, which which enables a sense of softening and and sometimes relaxing. Um, for some people, the breath isn't a helpful place to go to, um, you know, and and so there are other 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 anchors that can be chosen. But you've made a really, really important point, which is that if we come at meditation with a desire to fix something, it's probably mm. not be very helpful. Yeah. So if we come at it with a mindset of, well, if I just meditate, if I'm just mindful, I'll then be okay. Actually, what's happened is we've we've co-opted mindfulness in our project of trying to become a better self. Yeah, which is which is then um, kind of accentuates again this gap between who we are and who we want to be and we'll end up struggling in our meditation which means it probably won't be very helpful mm. and that's definitely something i experienced firsthand because i'm very aware of the breath and i'm aware that the breathing can change your physiology activate the parasympathetic nervous system it's something i've been aware of for a very long time when i first started experiencing these symptoms the first thing i did i went on a walk i was like i'm going to use my senses i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, breathe but still this idea of, I want this to be fixed. I need to fix this and still kind of thinking I shouldn't be feeling like this. And yeah. it's only once I actually let go of that idea and that belief that I had to fix it and I shouldn't be experiencing this combined with, you know, the breath and certain other things I use in certain situations. Did I actually lift the pressure off myself and accept the whole situation? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's an, it's an essential ingredient, this surrendering, um to how things are at the moment which is not at all easy of course i mean i remember it myself of of like you know spending you know years in this state of struggle um and and of course who wouldn't like who wants to experience derealization who wants to experience anxiety depression pain um you know all the, the kind of difficult life experiences that people come to um you know come to want to be different we we of course we want them to be different so it's it's not easy um to just say oh well you know just relax you know just be mindful yeah. and in fact it can be really irritating to, to <laughs> relax well, if, I, if i knew how to i would but the good news is that is that there are methods that we can learn that help us into this um you know so that's where where training comes in yeah, so let's talk specifically about some of those methods. Um, could you kind of, let's say someone wanted to to start this journey and they were maybe starting to work with you, what are these methods that you would incorporate with them? Yeah, well, um, meditation is the the kind of the key. Um, you know, it's it's um, see, it's been been meditation practices have been around for thousands of years to to help people access these states of um you know acceptance of compassion of 
willingness to meet and understand deeply the nature of of being human uh and fortunately you know we've had about 40 years of pretty increasingly high quality research that that uh, shows that these practices can help too so um i mean the 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 gold standard of a mindfulness training is an eight-week mindfulness course um in which uh, wide in view yeah so in in which people are introduced to a range of meditation practices um mindfulness of breathing is one of them uh we also learn how to um um eat mindfully uh how to perhaps learn how to relate differently to our thoughts this decentering from our ex- experience um learning how to practice um a friendly relationship with the body through practices like body scanning how to bring mindfulness into everyday life through mindful movement um through um shorter drop-in practices that can help to um help us kind of drop out of the flow of this kind of automatic pilot driven doing mode that we can very easily get into that's very conceptual and struggling to reach the next goals i mean our whole society is kind of you know in enthralled to um you know achievement and being being different so it's not easy um to step out of that but all of these practices can help us to come back to our bodies so a lot of the work is about returning to this to the body where we are you know the body's always in the present moment the body is always in sensory experiencing um so the body can be a great ally to come back to um and gradually kind of learning um experientially rather than just theoretically how this being human um is as a as an inner experience and therefore how we can you know we can we can learn to anchor ourselves through paying attention say for example to the breath bring kindness to ourselves by coming back for example from you know the wandering mind which we all have not with a sense of judgment but with a sense of friendliness um so i'd say mindfulness offers these range of practices but they are all um they're all kind of helping to cultivate kindness self compassion to cultivate presence steadiness uh curiosity and to uh let go of the usual modes of judging and striving uh so that we can actually you know we can actually move forward moment moment by moment really quick one for me guys i don't run ads on this podcast and i do aim to give you as many high value tips and tricks as i can for free all i ask in return is that you help me spread the word. That way I can help as many people as I can to never die again. The way to do that is to rate, review and share this podcast. A review will only take 30 seconds, but it would mean the world to me, but more importantly, it could help change the life of someone else. Yeah, for me I've seen real power and benefits in the meditation itself mm. and i've done different forms of meditation in the past um and what i also find powerful of of mindfulness is how to then apply that to day-to-day life um it i feel that what i've learned from you is a bit more practical than just 
meditation by itself. Meditation kind of gives you the skill of being able to recognize thoughts and feelings and emotions, but then knowing what to do with that on a day-to-day basis, I think is, is also really important. I I wonder if you can give any examples of that, because it'd be really helpful perhaps to, you know, um, you know, for people listening, because yes, we might know what meditation is, um, but the sense of actually then applying these, what we learn in meditation to, to everyday life, you know, how that, how that can happen if, if, if you're able to. Yeah, I guess one thing that I've started doing is kind of, um, off the map meditation, as it were, where I'm kind of consciously listening to the thoughts that are popping to my head, just when I'm doing day-to-day things. And I've had this discussion with uh, a few different people and it seems that different, and I didn't realize this, and you, you wouldn't think this unless you spoke to someone else, but obviously everyone has a different background set of thoughts that are um, bombarding them on a, on a day-to-day basis. And for a lot of people, it's negative, self, negative self-talk and that can lead to certain behaviors and certain reactions uh, in certain situations. That's not something I can relate to at all. That's not something I've ever struggled with. But what I noticed was that it was the background thoughts for me are, this needs to be completed. What's the gap between where I am now and some task that needs to be finished? Um, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to do this. If this doesn't happen, then this is really bad. And it's just nonstop. And what I learned, so yes, my grandfather passed away. Um, but really that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Because really the underlying problem was the fact that um I run my own business and that can be um challenging and lots of pressure. But when combined with renovating the house that I'm currently living living in and basically seeing there's all these things that need to be done everywhere all the time it was like a, a, a just like a, a like a a cask yeah the straw that broke the camel's back basically yeah, it's like a perfect uh, storm isn't it of, yeah of, perfect storm and, and and we you know we you know we are not superhuman yeah so so given enough enough stressors um whether those are external stresses or internal stresses or most likely both you know, we will reach a point where our, um, you know, our our bodies and and the systems that are kind of in place to try and cope with stresses becomes overloaded. Yeah, um, that's that's quite common. That you know, that's when people will often seek seek um, help. Um, mm. But if we can learn how to, you know, we may not be able to, you know, we 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 don't have total agency over our lives. Um, so you know, we are working with the the inner world that we have, and as you were saying people have different patterns of um you know of of thinking um that that causes problems um but um we have some agency over how we relate with that and then we have some agency over how we relate with our external lives as well so yeah. by by cultivating it um you know by doing what you were doing you know noticing you know what are the patterns that drive me yeah. Um, and for you, it sounds like it's, you know, it's kind of like that sense of being future based of I've got to get here. Yeah. Never in the present me, moment. Yeah. Never in the present moment. And of course, then by by having that goal of where do I want to be, that creates tension in the body. You know, we have this perhaps sense of being driven 
and so we don't get rest um right. and so if we don't get rest then the body doesn't recuperate and then when those externals external stresses ramp up we get overloaded yeah uh, so that's when that's when kind of you know um sort of uh the system breaks down in some way or or throws up symptoms that show us that you know hey this is an alarm here we've got to do something and of course it says we've got to do something whereas actually um it's it's that doing something that that causes some of the problems so of course the alarm is related to fight or flight um but when when the the issue is actually um inside of us or or something to do with our present moment situation that can't be changed then actually it's a learning how to undo that that is the way through this and really what i learned with you is actually that um the habit i have of always wanting to uh complete tasks and get things done is really probably why i've done well i think with my business and and you know um quitting finance and and going down this route i wouldn't be able to do the job i do without that yeah there. and i think you um instead of me seeing this as a bad thing and i shouldn't feel it, it's like oh actually this is kind of a superpower in some ways but if left unchecked it can potentially cause problems and especially um like with what happened with the house it was just this scenario of everywhere that i looked it was a problem and i wasn't aware that i had this problem whereas now i have that awareness those exact same thoughts and feelings are there all the like all the time that default background of thinking of i need to fix this i need to do this is still there mm. but now i've changed my relationship to it and i've got better at asking myself myself the question do i actually need to do that you know is the world going to end if i yeah. don't do that and nine times out of ten it's not gonna the world is not going to end and i don't need to do it and then i don't and that's immediately kind of taking the pressure of myself yeah well that's really that's really fantastic and really important um and helpful i think for people to to see um that it's actually um how you are paying attention or to you know what you're paying attention to and how you're paying attention to what you experience and discovering that we can actually live with our habit patterns and that indeed they're hugely useful that's how they've evolved to stay with us yeah so that we we can um you know have agency in our lives and make choices and run businesses and um you know that's that's excellent it's it's just when it becomes a a, a tyranny of thinking that that um you know we're then not in control of it just runs reacting away. yeah because it's been so successful probably we go that well great this is going really well so it's almost like it then take over everything else and make that go really well. It's just, it's not suited to working with certain kinds of issues. So if we can um, learn how to, to um, regulate what mode of mind we are invested in, in each moment, then we can find a balance. So mindfulness isn't about, you know, getting rid of that. It's about learning how to, how to hold it and how to, um, let go of it when it's not appropriate for the situation. It'll still be wearing away in the background, but to, to, you know, to give ourselves a break from that. Yeah. And really, this is why I've become so fascinated uh, with mindfulness and why I talk a, a lot about it um, on, on the, on the program that I, what I work with the clients, because, you know, we've talked a lot 
we talked a bit about negative self-talk. We've talked about how it's impacted my life, but really what I see with the people that I work with at the start of their journey is they are running on autopilot. They are reacting to life and, you know, making the same mistakes over and over again, and they don't necessarily realize it. And in some ways it's a good thing that we have this capacity to run on autopilot because if we had to consciously think about every single thing that we did repeatedly on a day-to-day basis, we get nothing done, you know? So in some ways it's a human being superpower that I can't remember the statistic, but like supposedly 70% of daily tasks are automated. They are habits. And how, how I describe it is ultimately those automatic behaviors, those, those habits will either allow you to become the best version of yourself or a steady and slow decline with your physical and mental health. So this idea of suddenly becoming aware of what the automatic default behaviors are in certain situations, changing your relationship to them, and then potentially coming up with different reactions in certain situations can help you shift from one set of automatic behaviors to a different set of automatic behaviors. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, life would be very confusing actually, if we woke up without any autopilot, you know, cause we'd be, we'd be faced with a world that we'd have no reference points for, yeah. you know, um, you know, we'd have no language for it. Um, it, it would be, um, yeah, it would be, it would be impossible to do anything. You know, we'd be sort of helpless as a baby. Um, and until we've learned kind of like how the world works through experience, um, you know, we, we, we have no agency at all. So it is hugely helpful um, and enables us to, you know, focus on the things we want to focus, you know, rather than spending, you know, um, every day relearning how to put our clothes on. Tire shoelaces. Tire shoelaces, yeah. Learn to drive, you know. Any any skill that we've learned that's become an autopilot, um, you know, if we had to relearn it every time we did it, it you know, it would be it would be very frustrating. So yeah, it's hugely helpful, but it's only helpful when as you as you've suggested, when what we have learned is actually appropriate for the situation. And of course, life is continually changing. So maybe what we've learned that might have been the most appropriate response. Um, to one situation earlier on in our life may no longer be helping us. Um, so if we can if we can bring awareness to um, to our experience, particularly perhaps when it's not working for us, then yeah, we can start to develop new habits. You know, we can start to experiment with different behaviors that can that over time can become the new habits. Um, but that's likely to be uncomfortable at first because it's mm. not unfamiliar and there will be the drive to do things the way we've learned to do them. Yeah, because that's the way habits work. Um, so it means working with discomfort and it means um, uh, finding the commitment to practice these new habits over and over again, not as ideas, not as shoulds that we have to make happen but rather as uh, direct experiences, um, because it's actually only um, through engaging in direct experiences that we learn new habits. You know, you can't learn the piano by reading a book about it or thinking about it. Um, it has to be an engagement with the instrument, you know, over and over again, and we learn slowly. So the same with 
um, you know, skills that we want to learn mm. in our everyday lives. It has to be a process of gradual, um, gradual practice. You know, and if we're not aware of what we're doing or we're caught up in thinking about it, there's no space for that to happen. Mm. I guess all of this uh, potential improvement and change needs to come from a place of, I believe it's possible to change the way I react. Mm -hmm. And some of the issues that I come across, not necessarily with clients, because obviously for them to become a client, they end up, they, they fundamentally believe it's possible for them to change. Yeah. But I know there are many people I speak to on a monthly basis who need the help and I have all the capacity to completely transform their lives in every aspect and, and in ways they can't even visualize, but they fundamentally believe it's not possible for them to change. What would, have you ever worked with anyone like that where they don't believe you know they've they, they've been kind of pushed into like maybe doing some mindfulness but they don't believe it's possible for them to change their situation have you worked with someone like that and what would you say to that person it's very difficult um because if if you don't think that that mindfulness is likely to help you um if you're kind of strongly invested in a self that can't change, um, then that's probably going to be, be, be reinforced. Um, so it is very, very difficult. I think there, there, there does need to be um, a degree of willingness to experiment and to, um, to kind of find the chink in the armor of, of that kind of strongly held identity of I'm, mm. I, I'm the self that can't change. Yes. Um, fortunately, most people, as you know, like with you, people aren't generally going to contact me if they don't believe that I'm going to yeah. help. Um, yeah. Now, of course, as you say, it does sometimes happen that people will, you know, kind of um, uh, push people in my direction. Um and um but generally speaking people don't want to be pushed you know so even if they you know they come and have a conversation with me chances are there is a chink in that armor so i, I suspect that those those people won't actually reach me um, yeah. and they won't reach you either yeah. um and i you know i don't have any i'm not sure that there's any way of no. happening except perhaps the power of 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 um everyone who does believe there's a possibility of learning it and then you know like with you you're sharing that you're sharing here that this is something that's actually helped you um and so that's really powerful for people to to kind of create that chink of, look this can work and and i suppose the only thing i would say is that um part of this process of habit making is that we come to be invested in an idea of a self that we are because it's a lot yes. easier not to change not to you know to sort of um you know there's a certain comfort in in saying well i'm like this and i can't be i can't become any different it means that there's no effort you know there's no yes. work done um so it's kind of a comfortable place although it might be in another way a very uncomfortable place um so there's a certain sense of of kind of like moving out of that that sense of safety but the reality 
is that we're all continually changing all the time. You know, our experience is continually shifting who we are. Um, you know, you look back at yourself 20 years ago, you know, you're not the same person, I would bet. You know, there's, there's, there's clear, you know, clearly, we're, you know, we're all getting older. We're all um, learning different things in different ways. We have skills that we didn't have. We maybe have habits yes. that we didn't have, whether, whether change the, is inevitable good or not. Change is inevitable. So it's simply not true that we're going to be the same self in 20 years' time that we are now. So the question is not are we going to change, but how are we mm. going to change? Now, that's really interesting. We could change in a way that's going to reinforce that idea of I can't change. So ironically, the change becomes a continuing reinforcement, you know, mm. I can't change. And then things, although they won't stay the same, it would, they will just kind of like, you know, we're moving, but we're just moving around in a circle. Yeah. Um, or can we can we recognize that actually every every moment is a moment of investing in who we're going to become? That's different, by the way, from identifying an ideal self we'd like to be and then struggling to reach it, but actually giving ourselves moment by moment to practices and support systems and um, learnings, like deep learnings, not just intellectual learnings, um, so that our environment supports us to, be, to change in the way that actually we do want to change. And that's, that's real learning. That's not kind of just thinking yes. about changing. So I'm really interested in what you just said about, uh, use the kind of the term, someone might be so invest invested in their sense of self and probably unconsciously yeah unconsciously what and you kind of briefly described what might make someone invest in their sense of self and that is staying the same although it's uncomfortable for them it's more comfortable to stay where they are than it is to expose them to unknown discomforts initially initially yeah yeah what else in someone's life or mind, do you think would um, lead someone to holding on to and investing subconsciously in this sense of self, which is keeping them stuck where they are? Well, we all do it to a degree. I would, I would suggest, um, you know, again, it's another part of being human that it, that it, you know, initially, uh, you know, it, it feels more comfortable not to, um, you know, to stay in our habits. Mm. You know, that's the way we've evolved. It conserves energy. Um, so, um, so just kind of our, our, our biological and psychological makeup. Also, our society, or the world around us is, is, you know, is constructed, um, you know, to, to kind of keep us where we are. I don't mean this in a sort of like, you know, sort of malevolent, uh, Illumin know, Illuminati. No, I just mean that, you know, that's, you know, that's who we are as human beings. So it's not surprising that's reflected in, in our world. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's much easier, um, you know, for the, for the status quo in that sense to, to continue. Um, so, you know, all around us, there are, um, you know, incentives not to, to change, you know, people, mm. people don't expect people to change. Um, so it happens in our relationships, in our in our sort of family systems. Um, I mean, 
to give an example, you know, when we've um most of us like when we've left home, um, you know, we become an adult and you know, we have lots of experiences where we grow and change and 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 uh but for most people when we go home, we suddenly find ourselves acting like a 12 year old again. <laughs> You know, and and you know, yes. our family does the same, and suddenly it's like whoosh, the pressure is to go back to, mm. you know, the 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 dynamics that we learned early on. You know, so you know, the environment. There are all these cues of perhaps a familiarity. So it's happening actually all the time in our lives. The cues are are kind of, um, you know, they're they're they, you know, they kind of encourage us. Um, perhaps unconsciously back into stasis because that seems easier. So it's mm. not it's not easy to change. Um, but it is possible with steady, gentle, continuing work with support, with with practices that help. Um, um, it, it is possible to change over the over the long term. On that note, what would you say to someone who wants to start a mindfulness journey? Where, where should they start? Well, an eight-week course is a good is a good um, good option. It's it's um, it's kind of considered the, the the gold standard in the in the industry because there's so much um, research that's been done on um, on these types of programs. So the evidence base is good, um, and also eight weeks. Although it's still quite a short period of time, um, it's it's long enough to at least introduce people to um, the practices and for them to practice them for long enough in a supported environment. So whether that's um, you know one to one with a with a teacher or in a group. Um, so it's it's like creating an environment that's different. Yeah, so kind of like the, the the curriculum and the environment of the the teaching setting, kind of allows us to be in that different space, so to be supported by different cues, um, and to have space to uh, reflect on what comes up, and so gradually to practice these these different ways. Um, so that at the end of the eight weeks, we at least might have a sense of, is this something I want to continue in, continue mm. with? Um, you know, and of course, one of the, the, the difficulties is that quite often people will have, will have tried a bit of mindfulness, uh, yeah. you know, and oh, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. not yet. Classic. Yeah. Um, but you know, behavior change doesn't come through, you know, it's not it's not magic i mean it would be wonderful if it was isn't it if we could all go to the gym once and be really yeah. fit you know or um you know eat one healthy meal yeah and, and you know have a balanced nutritious you know kind of healthy eating practice it doesn't work like that so at least a couple of months in a supported environment um the evidence suggests is is enough to begin to um facilitate these changes for for most people but it's still just a beginning mm. you know actually um behavior change happens you know gradually over over years which is why i mean yeah. i'm imagining it's just you know this is i mean i'm not an, an expert in your field but you know it's why i'm imagining you know fad diets don't work and yeah. why new year's resolutions don't work 
you know, because it's just just an idea, and there's no real there's no real sustainability. Um, no. It has to become something that's sustainable, um, and so the rewards come over time, and then those rewards of 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 feeling well and healthy, um, you know, then then reinforce back. So we develop a new environment around which feeds back into um, into our practice, and it grows and becomes stronger over time. Yeah, yeah, bang on. I think you said, you know, it would be nice if, if you know, you could flick a switch and, you know, you do one workout and suddenly you're fit. And that's what people want because they're so focused on the goal. But really, in order to get long-term success, you need to focus more on the process and learn to enjoy the process and understand mm-hmm. that actually this, this journey of behavioral change and self-improvement never ends. And Indeed. if it yeah. did, that would be quite, life would be quite boring. If you suddenly hit peak everything then what <laughs> me yeah yeah i'm now the person i always wanted to be yeah yeah and now what and you know <laughs> i this for me personally this this process of behavior change started when i was probably 2021 when i was you know abusing drugs alcohol working in finance all that kind of stuff and over you know for a lot of friends it looks like someone flicks a switch and i've changed into who i am today but of course, it's been a very slow, long, gradual process. And ultimately, I enjoy the process of, mm-hmm. of this. And that is, I think, what people need to lean into more is instead of focusing on this outcome of I want to be mindful, um, it's just learning to enjoy the, pr- the process of, of mindfulness itself. Um, so thank you very much. That, that's really important, actually, um, if I may just say one, yeah. one thing about that, um, because if, if you if you can in- um enjoy the process now that doesn't mean it's always comfortable no but if you can be um uh kind of have a sense of fulfillment from the the experience of practicing so what you um what you what you practice becomes what you love then um then there's kind of no need for a sort of a voice saying well you should do this yeah so actually the outcome is no longer the goal yeah it's actually you know it's it's the process of what we do is in itself fulfilling and then you're working in the moment you're working with um you know not being focused on the future but actually living now in a way that feeds back um uh you know pleasant experiences to us and then that that helps us to feel that that you know, this is the way we want to live. And so it becomes a, a sort of like a self-sustaining sort of spiral then. Yeah, um, virtuous cycle. Virtuous cycle, yeah. Mm. So you don't need then kind of to be constantly focused on the future. So, yeah, it's yeah. really important, you know, to find a way that the process becomes what you love. And, and not just what – and this is what I see. And obviously, initially, people are focused on the outcomes – then slowly but surely they're learning to enjoy the process and yeah. then actually learning to enjoy the process affects their identity where they become someone who who is just enjoys mindfulness and enjoys being active enjoys eating eating healthily that's just a fundamental part of who they are and that's yeah. where the long-term change happens so the outcome actually is only a byproduct of investing in the exactly process, learning how to meet the moment by moment experience in a way that enables us to find it fulfilling, even when maybe it isn't pleasant, you know, because that learning, that kind of wisdom is, is, is coming through 
all the variety of our experience ones, the pleasant ones, the unpleasant ones, which is kind of just the nature of life. But learning how to find fulfillment in them um, then leads by itself, it seems, or is more likely lead, more likely to lead to happiness. You know, there's research that says that people who are who are invested in happiness are less likely to be happy yeah. than those people who actually just live, you know, with what's here as well as we can, as skillfully as we can, and and trust that that in itself is fulfilling and will bring as much happiness as as is mm. possible. And it's exactly what I teach my clients. You know, they come in very heavily focused on weight loss and the number and the scale, and I lean lean into that at the beginning. But once they've joined. I'm like, look, we're barely going to be talking about weight loss because weight loss is the byproduct of focusing on uh, addressing the root cause of the issue, which is, yeah. you know, relationship with food, identity, self-love, negative self-talk and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and then the same is true in, in a, uh, when I teach a mindfulness course. Mm. Often in the first session, I'll ask people like, to identify what they'd like to be different um, so it is kind of out there and say, well, that's brilliant. Well done. That's what's got you here. Yeah, but actually, from now on, is it possible for a couple of months to actually let that go, to not try and achieve mm. goals, to to to, um, but instead to give your attention to this process of learning mindfulness, and then in a couple of months' time, let's see where we are. Yeah, and actually, yeah. quite often people will say, "Oh, that's a huge relief." You mean I yeah. don't have to try to be calm? I don't have to try to relax? I don't have to try to you know sleep better? I don't have to try to be less anxious? No. You just come as you are, and we're going to learn some stuff and practice some stuff that, yeah, may well help with that, but not through our trying to get to the outcome. It's a bit like yeah. you know when you have kids in the car and and you know continually saying, "Are we there yet?" You know, it's it doesn't lead to a pleasant experience. No, it's the same way if we're continually saying to ourselves, "Am I am I there yet?" As in, "Am I who I want to be yet?" It's going to get in the way. It's going to make us more stressed and less likely to actually get there. And anyway, where we where we're trying to get to is is or, or rather, you know, we'll always be here. Yeah. If we're trying to get somewhere, we're never going to reach it. We're always no. going to be here. So if we can invest our attention in how we meet here skillfully, then um that's 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 going to be skillful living. So Ed, this has been very, very interesting. I could literally talk about this subject uh for hours and hours and hours. Uh, <laughs> but too. I know. <laughs> you have to you have to head down so just before we wrap up um where if people did want to get in touch with you where is the best place for that uh so you can contact me via my website which is um edhalliwell.com um all the details of the eight-week courses that i teach are at mindfulnesssussex.co.uk um some of those are in person in sussex but also um i run courses via zoom so you don't have to be local to me those would probably be the best ways of, uh, of of getting in touch, and I'd really um, welcome people doing so. Yeah, so I'll link that in the description below and share it on social media as well. And just so everyone knows, I did the remote eight-week course, and I'm also going to do uh, like one of your retreats in December, the half-day mindfulness retreats, which I'm looking forward to. So yeah, thanks again, Ed. Thanks for taking the time to chat to us about mindfulness. I'm, I'm sure we'll be having another discussion at a later date going into more detail of what we're talking today um but yeah thank you very much you're welcome lovely to be with you 
If you would like to go deeper into any of the topics of this podcast and learn the exact same step-by-step system which I use with my coaching clients, then make sure you check out my free definitive guide to fat loss. It will teach you everything you need to know to lose weight, sustain the results and live life to the full. It's linked below in the notes beneath this podcast.